Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director here at Faith and Grief. We hope the conversations and interviews you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs online and partners with local organizations to offer our programs for their community. We offer monthly drop-in grief support gatherings, grief workshops, and getaway weekend retreats. Find out more about all our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. On today's podcast, we'll be joined by Vince Montague. Vince is a successful writer and has recently written a book called Crackpot, which chronicles his journey into pottery, a healing tool, as he was grieving the death of his wife in a car accident in 2009. The work he does is extraordinary. The pottery, the craftsmanship, uh, his work is poetic in a tangible form, much like the words he writes in his book, Cracked Pot. We look forward to learning more about Vince, the book, and his grief journey. Um, So there's so much, like I got into your work, uh, got to throwing pots, and and the funny thing was, when we talk about anger and grief, mm. one of my quips always is, um, because I tend to go to humor before I go <laughs> somewhere else, is I was like, you know, the best solution for your anger is to go garage sailing. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, go buy, like, the ugliest pottery, uh, cheapest, uh, breakable china, whatever it is, whatever's on sale, whatever's in that dollar bin, gather that up and just throw it on the back fence. And I said, and then when you're done, <laughs> do something with that. Um, because there's something in the physical throwing things that helps. Yeah. But then, much like your book, Cracked Pot, there is something about taking it and making it into something that means something. And yeah. that's, to me, just such a metaphor for how we can move forward in our grief. And so thanks yeah. for calling your website Throwing Pots because now I can use that. It's a totally different kind of throwing pots, but uh, I appreciate that. No, but it's, it's kind of the same. You know, when you're talking about grief, you're talking about, uh, you know, strategies to survive and everything, you know, everything that you have should be utilized, including your anger. But like the way that you say it of like throwing that stuff into your backyard. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that that's important and then to then to consider what you can do with it that's creative so it's like deconstructing and then constructing and i mean that sounds like a great idea yeah i wish i (laughs) well well it it comes out of necessity i think um uh years ago when i experienced uh the death of my grandmother I was a teenager and didn't know what to do with all of that stuff. Um, And like many of us, uh, you know, grief wasn't something we talked about. You know, once the funeral was done, you were supposed to be, that's done, we're over, now move on. And it just was really a confusing, frustrating time. And I knew I was really angry about something. I just didn't know what it was. And Mm -hmm. I was angry because one of my most special best friends in the whole wide world was dead. 
and right. there's there's just not something you know what to do with and that's a anger is a weird thing and anger manifests in so many ways that you don't even know it until way past it and kind of reflect yeah. back yeah yeah i mean even for me i mean i think about that and all the anger that i have like why why did this happen to my wife and how 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 did what's happening that she died so young it just didn't make any sense and i had a lot of anger but the anger wasn't really constructive to surviving but it was still there and i remember just being really angry at myself and my writing and it was like writing the the thing in my whole life that has given me life and um the thing that i loved uh most in the world and yet I was angry at it and I stopped writing. Mm. I stopped uh, doing the thing that I love when I probably needed it the most. And um, it took me a while to get back to writing. Uh, but that was because I felt like something had happened to me in grief. And you were talking about how, you know, you don't know anything about grief when you arrive in deep grief. You're just, it's like, you're in a new country, you don't speak the language, mm -hmm. you uh, don't know the customs, you're just trying to figure it out. And so one of the reasons I wrote Crackpot was because I, I think there should be more light brought into the discussion about grief. And um, it is a really difficult, challenging time in one's life, but it's also a time of dynamic change. And that change, uh, is you know overwhelming you know in the beginning but uh, for me it was finding myself as a ceramic artist which i never thought i would ever be in my entire life so you know trauma loss is a terrible thing to go through and um but at the same time it's part of your overall it's if you can if you can experience it in a way that allows you to open up your mind to your entire experience of grief, not just the loss, but all the things that you got that you were given through your relationship with whoever. Um, you realize, you know, it's, it's a time to take stock of those, mm. those qualities as well as mourn their loss. Uh, it's a complicated time to be grieving. Yeah. Well, and I so appreciate you talk about, um, you know, writing being the love of your life. You're a professional writer. This is what you do. Mm -hmm. And it is not uncommon, especially when we're in the, the early stages of grief, that early grief, that foggy, uh, out-of-body kind of time, for us to feel so disconnected from everything because the person that we love has died and all the things that we love take almost like a – I always said it's it, everything becomes amplified and dimmed at the same mm. time. And it's sort <laughs> of like you're in this liminal space in between. Yes. And because of that, the things that you normally would reach for, the things that you would cling to just seem absent or like too far away. I mean, that's the way I've always described it. It's like, I can see it. I want to do that, but it's not something I want to do right now. You know, it's like <laughs> the last thing. Yeah. So, um, being a creative person, mm. I, d I think it's so interesting that you did sort of walk into what Julia 
really love to do. Um, and like you said, not having any expectations <laughs> other than I'm just going right. to go in here and see what, what's left in here and see what's around. Yeah, yeah I think that um, when you experience grief, and just to give background about what Cracked Pot is about, it's a memoir about losing my wife, who was uh, 45 years old, and she died in a car accident um, where she drowned. And mm. um, and it was a very traumatic death. And that alone, the trauma of that alone was something that I had to deal with besides just the loss uh, of, mm. of her. But I, after she died, I thought, I don't have anything. I felt like mm. the world had decimated. And I, that wasn't true, but it took me some time to realize that one of the things that I did have, one of the skills that I owned that could help me out was creativity. I was a creative person. And I think that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because that experience of using my creativity made me understand that Creativity is not just a hobby. It's not just something extra. Um, it's not decoration. It is something very powerful that we own and we can cultivate mm. uh, human beings uh, to help us out when we need help, when we need to figure out what is going on with our own lives, what's going on with the world. Uh, creative thinking, uh, create the, the act of creative expression um, is is what I what I experienced and why I wanted to write the book about yeah. that well I, I love the, uh, the book and thank you for sharing the early copy sure. um, and when we get to February we'll replay this <laughs> okay um, great. We, sometimes we get to talk to authors before a book comes out sometimes after it's come out sometimes in between um, but you know the the book itself reminded me um, another good memoir book around grief, um, H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, she's, you know, she takes something that she loves falconry and applies that to her own grief, her own journey. And that's what I, I thought was great about your book. Plus you've got sort of the um, the added piece. I, I don't know if I'm going to say it wrong and you're going to correct me. Um, the Japanese art of putting pottery back together with gold. Yeah. With gold. Kintsugi. Kintsugi. Right. Okay, good. I was, I was, yeah. I'm good. I'm going to, I said, I'm going to not say it correctly, but, <laughs> um, but I love the fact that you pulled that in because people have heard of that, I think. Um, right. But they've probably never ever actually done it. Um, but when you see pieces that have been uh, carefully with intention put back together with gold or gold paint, whatever it is, it gives it a whole nother um, life for, for yeah. lack of a better term. But um, so is that where yeah. the cracked pot came from the title or? Um, it came, it, it's part of it because um, I've, there's something powerful about that Kintsugi process of mm -hmm. seeing a, a bowl that is cracked or a cup that is cracked that's been repaired. It just speaks of humanity. It's mm -hmm. very fragile and repaired and it's surviving. And uh, that was in the back of my mind when I was writing the book. But I think what the, the title Cracked Pot actually came from my editor, but 
it was the idea that the the book is made up of these little pieces, short paragraphs, um, uh, little narratives, some essays about clay. You get to learn about my process through learning yeah, through clay. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, my process learning through grief, um, but they're they're like broken shards. They're they're pieces that it had been a pot, it had been a piece, but it, it had been broken apart. And I, the book is about putting those pieces back together. Mm. When you put something broken back together, it's never exactly the same way. It's going to be different. Uh, so it's a, it was a metaphor really for my life. Um, it felt shattered. It felt broken. And I somehow started putting pieces back together. And as I started putting pieces back together, my life shaped into something new. And um, I think when you go through intense grief, and you're missing someone and you're alone, you're trying to figure out the shape of your future, the form of your future. You can't really even imagine the future, let alone what is the shape of it? What are you going to do? And those are the really dark liminal spaces that you were talking about where you seem to be out of time. Um, yeah, those. that's... That was one of the things that was on my mind when I was writing. Well, and it was interesting because I saw your work first off the website, off the gallery. And uh, to me, they are very bold um, (laughs) uh, ceramics, very bold images, but very gentle at the same time. And then when I look at the pieces of the book, they reflect one another, which I was... Uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh-huh. I, I think the writing is beautiful and it's accessible. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. Um, I oh. think, yeah, I think so many times people think, oh, it's a grief book or a memoir and it's going to be uh-huh. so heavy that I can't get through it. Um, but I reassure people all the time, every book, a memoir of, of loss, of grief, to me has just an underlining. Anybody who's willing to share their gift, their creative side, there is hope that is attached to that because we don't just put stuff out into the world for the heck of it. There has to be some connection. There has to be some love that's attached to it. And, and sort of speaking of love, tell me about Mm -hmm. Julia. Julia, um, I met in uh, the 1980s in New York and she was um, an artist, you know, a real artist who was um, determined um, talented and con- did not fit into the regular um, forms of society. She was going to do her way. So she was a rebel, you know, in a lot of ways and, and fearless. And I always admired her, um, her fearlessness because I was way more of a cautious person and more afraid of things. And we just um, met and fell in love. And it was about art. It was about making of art. Mm writing and um she had done um she had done had done many things in different fields but had always done pottery and about uh, maybe about 10 years before she died she decided to really get back into pottery and she had the kind of energy and the kind of ambition to just turn her life around and and get into pottery so she did within five years she was a a working potter and uh, we moved out here to um, the country north of San Francisco and in, in rural um, Sonoma County and 
she built a studio. We, she started a business and uh, it was wonderful. You know, I mean, it is a wonderful thing to work with play. And I, I had no idea. I'd never seen anything like it. So I was excited for her, excited to see um, what she was accomplishing with clay. And it was inspiring, you know, it was inspiring to be around clay, but I was, meanwhile, I was teaching, you know, I was teaching people how to write and that seemed like enough for me, you know, I, there was just a lot to, you know, going on and to be a teacher and to then do my own writing. Um, I was just happy to be around a clay studio. Um, but she, her work is uh, like her. Um, it's funny how the work that you make resembles you so much. Uh, it's vibrant, it's funny, um, and it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like, I'm I, sure. I feel like I'm feeling like I get to know her more and more. That's, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you know, you talk about, uh, and I've read on the website too, sort of, sort of the reintroduction to pottery for yourself or mm -hmm. really introduction. I mean, you knew, you knew it through yeah. Julia, but it was not an art that you were connected to really other than through her. And then right. suddenly you decide to make something. Yeah, I think um, that was a crazy intense moment when I realized that I could make something that wasn't written, that was actually a form. And I remember that the heart, you know, in the in the heart of the grief in the beginning, when you're, when everything has has ended and there's no more memorials and people are kind of going back to their own life, you you hit a, a different area of grief, and it's a, you thought maybe you were through it, but you're you're not, you know, you're really in the thick of it, and I uh, would wake up in the morning and realized you know what I was missing in my life and then look out at that studio and I thought I can't let that studio die as well I have to get in there and somehow keep it going I just uh you know I that was that was what compelled me and then I I went in there and without really knowing what I was doing I made a bowl and um I just pinched this bowl together and it was probably a moment of desperation you know I was just like trying to reach out trying to stay connected to her um in some way but after I made that bowl I you know I went back to my world of teaching and but on my mind was the this bowl I was thinking about this bowl and if it was okay and if I should go and fix it and I think that's where I transferred a lot of my love um for her I transferred that love into clay and um, I, I'm glad that I was open to it. I'm glad that I um, took that chance and, uh, and pursued it uh, because, yeah, it's, it's helped, it's helped, it helped me through my grief and it's helped me, it continues to help me today. Yeah. Well, the, the work is beautiful. The whale um, show is amazing. Uh, I have an affinity to whales too, so I was, I was, yeah. <laughs> I saw that I was like a whale show. What's that? Um, so go to the website. You can check that out. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Uh, we're only we're only audio here, so we don't have that. But, um, but, you know, I think what you just said reminds me so many times. Uh, for so many of us, when we're grieving, once all the hoopla, like you said, it's kind of over. The 
phone calls slow down, the casseroles go away, all that stuff. It gets quiet. And there is usually something in our heart that is talking to us. Many times it sounds and it may feel so painful that we just don't want to investigate it. We don't want to pursue it. But many times it's just us trying to help our, our brain is saying, let me help you. Here's, it whispers to us and says, you need to be doing this or don't do that or whatever it might be. And I think what's beautiful about your story is that you trusted it and you just listened and you weren't afraid to just go mess around. Um, I think that so many times people think that if you're creative, it's got to be perfect the first time. And um, you know this in in being a a writing professor. (laughs) The word yeah. the word draft is a reason that we use the word. <laughs> right. And you know, it, it and, and, and I explain in the book or try to not explain but show in Cracked Pot is that the chances that I took in the studio led to chances that I took outside in my own life as I tried to readapt. Because one of the chances I took was a very small chance, but I uh, was given the number of a um, hospice organization that dealt with grief. It was just a phone number and I dialed the phone number and I left a message. And I remember um, one of the grief counselors calling me back and I remember them asking me very directly um, what happened. And I had to explain this whole story and, and what was going on with me to a total stranger over the phone. And even that, even that just talking on the phone to a complete stranger and telling them of my grief felt so good. It just felt like I need, I can't do this all by myself. I was trying to do it all by myself. So I, um, I guess in a way I was lucky because there at that time there was a grief support group that was starting and it was for people who had suffered traumatic loss. So I, I had never been to a group. I, I would probably be, I would say that I would be a person who would be suspicious of some something like that. But the power of sharing stories with people, uh, as a writer, I should know that. But when I got to that group and I shared my own story and I, they sh- the people in the group shared their story, I knew that it was an incredible thing. I knew that, um, I, I just knew that it was a way to go. You know, that was the way for me to survive it. And um, and I even now writing this book, I I sharing stories is really important. Mm-hmm. And uh, stories of grief, they need to be told yes. to, to help deal with it. And it's impossible to keep it to yourself. It's just you can't deal with it by yourself. At least I think most people. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad you reached out because you know, that's part of what we do at Faith and Grief is, is in addition to the grief support programs that we offer, is educating people on, you know, talking about grief, uh, learning how you can support others who are grieving. Uh, one of the tools that we use so often in our workshops and continue to work both online and places like that is writing. Writing is mm. such a a great way, even if, you know, like I always tell people, you don't have to be a writer to write. We can all sing right. and we can all write. Uh, there's yeah. no grading here. <laughs> it, but, but there is something about getting it out on paper. There's also something mm-hmm. about being in community with one another. 
to share yeah. and connect and to understand that we don't have to do this alone. Um, I think we're taught yeah. in Western culture too quickly to, you know, pull up our bootstraps and get going and, you know, get back to work and all that. And like, I, I'm so glad you keep using the word adapting because I think that's how we yeah. grieve. It's just a constant relearning and a constant adaption to who we are now. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that person Pe- isn't the same as before. It just, you can't no. be. No, and people tell you all sorts of things. You get all sorts of advice about grief from people, you know, uh, who mean well. Mm-hmm. And um, they want to try to comfort you. And they say, well, you'll you'll get through it. This too will pass. And you want to believe that. You want to think, yeah, it's gonna. I'm not going to feel this pain someday. Someday this pain will go away. But as you as you experience grief, you realize that the pain is there. And the way that you adapt to it, the way that you learn to live alongside it is within your control and you can, and you can do it. Um, but, you know, to think that it's all going to go away isn't quite right. You know, I just don't feel comfortable with that. I, you know, it's there for a reason because it, it's part of you. And um, it's just that you can adapt. We, we, Human beings are really incredible. Uh, it's amazing what we can do and bounce back from or just learn to live with. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, thank you for saying that too, because it sometimes is, is the process of learning to live with it. Um, and, you know, uh, there's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer about the space that kept open so that we can have mm-hmm. communion with the person who loves us, that mm-hmm. if that space closed up, it, we would lose that connection and the idea of keeping it open, you know, through art, um, through being creative, finding things that our loved ones loved and love that too, even if it's a love hate relationship with it. Uh, we have, we've had some people talk about, you know, this particular, uh, sports team, I can't stand, but I love them because they did, you know, and you know, it can be the same thing. Your, your pottery is so beautiful. And I see so much, there's lots of shape, which I really appreciate. There's not just one particular style. Um, the colors are beautiful on the glazes and things. Um, what has been some of your inspiration for your actual work that you've done there? Yeah, I I think the main thing that's so, uh, I, I don't know, I think special about working in clay for me uh, is that when I came and started working in clay, uh, it was during this very difficult time and working in clay gave me, I just didn't care. I just didn't care what I was doing. I would make anything. I felt pretty fearless. I just wanted it so bad. I wanted to make things. I wanted to make beautiful things. I just wasn't self-conscious about it at all. So when I look at the work that I make now, I think, it's really very free. It's, 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 it's exuberant in a certain way. It's um, in love with the material and it's very transparent. It's me, you know, these, this work is me. And I, I just, yeah, I think about, I think it's the material of clay that is what inspires me in, in, in my, in my work itself. Um, and just 
I don't know. It all has, to, it's all sort of combined, Shelly. It's, it's combined with my, my writing and uh, my work as a poet and my work now in clay. It all feels to me like the same breath. Mm. It's just coming out in a different way. One is coming out in words and one is coming out in clay. And that can be anything, you know, it can just be whatever, wherever I want to go with clay and the same with writing. And so, yeah, it's it, sometimes I look at what I'm making and where I'm going, how I started with this little bowl that I made, you know, <laughs> and now I'm making sculptures and, and they're more complicated and yet it's still the same basic impulse. You know, I want to make something beautiful. And what that is, I, that's the search. That's what I do um, in words and um, hopefully in clay. Well, it's, it's beautiful. I love, uh, you can tell you enjoy the, the actual materials, like you said, um, because they're not like, of course, I'm going to send everybody to the website so they can look at the work. Because yeah, I said, you know, sometimes potters will have a particular style and they just kind of emulate that all the time. And that's totally great. And that's their style and everything. But I like the fact that everything looks individually thought, if that makes sense. Like yeah. very intentional on, you know, each piece. Um, and there is yeah. some humor in there, too. Like the whales, to me, some of those are pretty funny. Um, yeah. Um, they look <laughs> like they have personalities. So I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the um, the mystery of the of of a vessel of a of a physical vessel, you know. Especially working in writing, and working and thinking my whole life, everything has been on an abstract level. And then when I started to work with clay, I started to be able to materialize these things, ways of thinking, and different types of forms, and to bring my own humor into it, and to yeah, just my own eye to it, and. That's been, that's been so surprising to me. It, the whole thing has been a big surprise, but like we were talking about earlier, I didn't, I'm proud of myself because I didn't pull back. I just kept going through it. I just kept taking more risks and I kept pushing as far as I could push this. Even with the writing of this book and getting it out into the world is like, I just want to keep pushing that way. It feels like the right thing for me to be doing mm. and how to right now. Yeah. So when uh, your editor said, we're going to call this crack pot and yeah. you had all these pieces, how did you sort of bring that writing together? Like, oh, yeah. where were you pulling those from? Like, were these thoughts that you're jotting down? Uh, were they everywhere and you brought them together or was this sort of a planned out? How did that work? Because the process is always different. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, yeah. So. yeah no, the process was the process itself was pretty messy. You know, it, it, it was I think if you're a writer or an artist, you have to you have to just embrace the idea that you're on a journey and you're not sure where you're going to go. You have an idea. You want to write a memoir. Um, for me, uh, I I knew I. When I was ready and I felt strong enough, I realized I wanted to write this about this experience of writing, of, of making clay and transformation uh, through grief. And I wanted to express that. But when I tried to write it, it sounded fake. Mm. It sounded, it didn't sound truthful. 
And I don't know what it was. I mean, I, I worked on uh, a draft of the book for at least two years, and it was much more of a straightforward book, uh, a linear type of structure where this happened and that happened and this happened. And it just felt, it felt more accessible maybe in a way, but it didn't feel truthful because when grief happens, when you're in, in a period of loss, everything is jumbled. So I, I took pieces of what I had written in my journal and pieces that I had written in a previous draft and poems that I had written that were more like essays. And I started to put them together. I started to figure out the structure of the book. I figured out the structure of the book about three years ago. I figured out that the material, it was about putting it into thirds. The first part of the book is called the dry, the wet state. And that's when clay is fresh and it comes out of the bag and you can do whatever you want with it. It's just, the possibilities are endless. And that felt like the beginning of where I was in clay and in life again. And then the second stage is the dry state. And that's when you've molded it into something and it's drying into something solid, but it's not been fired. And it's not, it's still really fragile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, into grief, that's how it felt. It was, you know, it, it, there was a feeling and, and like, well, there's sort of a shape here, but I'm still really fragile. And then finally, it's about being fired in the solid state. And then it becomes like an object. And when I thought of that as a structure, I thought that's the truth because, um, Clay is about the transformation of a material. And grief, I felt, was the same thing. It was, um, the loss was like the heat, the fire. Mm -hmm. It made me realize a lot of things. And um, uh, it was just that the book crystallized for me there. And then it was just a matter of putting the pieces together. Um, and to leave some pieces out, I, I think it's important to note that um, in a memoir uh, about loss, there has to be loss. Um, there's things that are not, that are in the book that are not in the memoir, you know, that are maybe more continuous, but um, I think it's, it's part of the experience of reading that book and feeling like there's some gaps, there's some holes as yes. well as the content. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because I, I think that, that to me seems very human you know, we, we're not straight lines. We're not, we're not, uh, no. even though we want to put things in boxes and label things and do all that stuff, um, we're usually not very good at that anyway. Um, and so, you know, grief is, it's such a, it's such a weird state to be in. And yes. there's some things that just don't connect and some things that really do. And, but it's okay to know that, like, it's okay to know yeah. that there's not, I think that's why, you know, we get a lot of questions about well, what stage of grief am I in? We're like, well, where are you today? <laughs> um, you know, like there's, yeah. we, we've, you know, drifted away from calling it the five stages of grief at this point, but we yeah. want people to understand that every day could be different. And, you know, what's speaking to you today to help and be healing might not tomorrow. But right. I think the structure of the book, that's what I appreciated. My limited knowledge of pottery um it comes from my kids my kids oh. were fortunate to be in an art program that we had a kiln and they were able to learn those stages and right it's always great to have kids 
uh, be guides when you're learning something because they're much more uh, brave and mm-hmm. much more um, free than we would ever be. Um, but, you know, like when it would be in the drying stage, I remember them saying, don't mm-hmm. touch it, mom. It might break. And I go, okay. You know, and they're like, and they were very protective of their work, obviously. And then they say, I haven't fired it yet. Let me fire it. It's only been fired once. I need to fire it again. You know, like they had very specific things, but they knew when it was finished. You know, like it, it was great. And, and that's one thing I think we have to, um, I appreciate the fact that you've let your work be a vehicle to speak. Yeah. Let your grief speak through it, both in your writing and in the pottery, because I think that's, not everybody has that, um, but I love being able to give people ideas of where they might take some of that. Because we have Ooh, yeah. we have to do yeah. something with our grief. There's a point where you get, ag- I say it's the agitation stage, if there is one, you get agitated. It's like, where do I, what do I do with this? What do I do now? And for some people it's quiet, and some people it's loud. Some people they gotta go, you know, start a parade, and other people need to put something into the world. So thank you for doing that. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I could talk about this forever because it's a very, yeah, it's such an, it, you're changing so fast and it's, it's kind of a little bit scary, you know, what goes on when you're trying to figure out that you're alone, you know, you're really alone and you have to figure it out on your, on your own. I, um, yeah. Yeah, there's some of it. And part of it is that is you figuring out where you're headed and what you, where, kind of what that is. But just as important is having some way to communicate that. For some people, it's in a small group. In some people, it's at, at a retreat somewhere. For some people, it's in their writing. For some people, it's, you know, finding a way to give back, volunteering. There's so many different ways. Um, but if you can tap into your creative side, the, the, the results or whatever you have, it can be limitless and no one needs to see it. (laughs) Yeah, no one needs to see it. It's not important. I mean, it's, it's all about what kind of resources do you, do you have at your, you know, at your disposal? And one of the things I realized, uh, about when I was going through intense grief was, a, I had to be patient. Mm-hmm. I had to be really patient. Then I, I wanted that pain to disappear. I wanted it to be over, and it just wasn't. You know, I had to figure out really how to be patient. But the other thing that I learned was, um, I learned to be a student again. And I think if I, if I was going to give advice to anyone about grief, and it's really hard to give advice because there's a lot of ways to deal with it. But I would say that. Um, you don't have to go out and learn how to make pots, you know, to get better from grief or to feel better, but you can be a student. Mm. And I think be, being a student and opening up your mind to something and learning something, trying something, being at a place where you're, you don't have to know all the answers, where you, you open up a different part of your brain and start working in a different way in the garden or whether it's in walking or learning a language or it's just some place to uh to put yourself you know to get a break from being from grieving honestly it's it's a four seven day with grieving and to just 
learn, you know, how to memorize verbs in Spanish or something. It's it's like that. That's a relief. Uh, yeah, we uh, we hear a lot a lot of that because we in our workshops we um, employ some spiritual practices for people to explore things like journaling, um, uh, some art therapy techniques, different things. Uh, honestly, we always say this isn't probably something you're going to use for the rest of your life, but you might. Um, mm. But <laughs> it's something to keep you busy. Um, but yeah. it's it's active, it's creative, as opposed to other busy things that we throw into our lives just because we need to fill the space. And your grief needs to do something. It does. Yeah. It takes a lot right. of it. It takes a lot of energy to grieve, and mm -hmm. so it's good to have somewhere for that energy to go. Um, and so right. why not put it somewhere that's creative and maybe even um, life giving something that can right. give back right. to yourself and others. I mean, that's just such a powerful way to turn it around. Um, it doesn't feel like you can do that three days after the person dies. Right, right. It's hard to get to that point. It is. Really is to get to that point because in the beginning, you're just looking for a distraction. And, but then you realize that you couldn't, you can't sit through a television show. You know, that's not going to distract you. Um, you know, sometimes having conversations with people you're still thinking, you know, they're talking, but you're still thinking about your own grief and you can't really talk about it. And so it, it's, it's different than being distracted. It means somehow investing in something new, mm -hmm. something where you are not a professional or you are not supposed to know anything and you're just experiencing something new. And, you know, maybe when you are going through grief and you are healing from it and trying to learn how to live with it, you might have the courage to take more chances than you would normally um, because you're at this liminal moment where the things you used to worry about don't seem as important to you anymore. And the things that are important, you realize you have nothing to lose. You might as well try something, you know, right. take some sort of chance. Um, but it's just hard to get to that point. It really is. It's not, I remember reading a lot of books on grief, trying to figure out what was going on. And I heard all this stuff. I heard all the right answers and I wanted to get to the right answers. You know, I wanted to find my way through, but the brain and the heart can only go at their own pace. Right. And you can't, you know, I was getting, talking about patience, you know, that's the patience thing. You it, just have to let it. And I'm glad you brought that back up because it's something we tell people over and over again. We have to be gentle with ourselves and be patient. And we're not patient creatures. We just aren't. We, we've been sold that everything's supposed to be instant and everything should be done in three steps or a, a list of 10 things or whatever it is. And we have to be patient, just like you do. I mean, I, I think that's why the, the pottery metaphor is so beautiful because you, you can't make a piece of pottery in like a few minutes. It's just not possible. I mean, it, you no, can make something, they, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can make something, but it's not going to probably survive. It's probably yeah, going to be too fragile, yeah, no. and yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, failure is, is like the common experience in a clay studio, and it's sort of how it feels in the beginning of grief. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the other reasons I wanted to write the book is that I, I noticed when I was in grief support, and I was actually... Uh, giving grief support, um, that it was mostly women and not, not many men. 
And I think there's a particular problem and difficulty and obstacle for men dealing with grief. Because to say that you're grieving is to maybe say that you're weak in some way and vulnerable. And, and we're taught as men not to, to show that, you know, to be really, really strong. So there, you know, I wanted to, to add to the discussion that, that everybody goes through grief, whether they are expressing it openly in writing or clay or, or however, but everyone's going through it. Well, and I appreciate that because I think we need more male voices talking about grief. Um, yeah. Because it, it's not so that it's so much taboo. It's just that, oh, well, I need to, this isn't something I should share because I haven't been taught how to share well. Um, yeah. You know, we just don't give men the space many times to have these conversations. Um, and it, honestly, it was one of the reasons I was attracted to the book because I was like, oh, finally, a guy writing about grief. Thank goodness. Um, and not, not that, uh, we women have a monopoly on it cause we don't, oh. um, cause we don't, yep. everyone will experience grief at some point if they've cared or loved about something or someone, there's just, right. there's no way around it. It's not avoidable. Um, and we've got to get more comfortable talking about it, but it, it's great that you've written this book. Cause I think it, like I said earlier, it's very accessible and I think it'll be something that male grievers can connect to um when they you know you have to see it to to know that it's okay um yeah 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 i hope i hope that you know i hope that uh as we were talking about earlier that um even though it's a book about loss it's also a book about hope and it there you can't have any loss if there hasn't been any kind of hope in the first place and um i think that the book, you know, I hope the book has a, a, a wide audience, but um, I do think that men can maybe have more access to it because um, I'm not straight out talking about grief. I'm right. talking about grief in kind of a sideways way. And I think that is a, a more male kind of way to express grief. It's never usually really direct. Women are really open and incredibly expressive about it. And it's such a, such a relief a lot of times to hear the articulation, whereas men, it's really hard. And um, I, I think hopefully that, that comes through in the book. Well, good. We hope this episode of the podcast offered you some comfort and hope. Would you like to support us? Go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode and become podcast producer. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. We make this possible. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. Your support makes this service available to all who are grieving. If you'd like to support the Faith and Grief podcast, go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode.